You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for our Sunday Gospel Reflections in the Byzantine tradition. It is the Sunday of the Forefathers as we prepare for the great Feast of the Nativity of Christ our God. We're given to meditate upon the Gospel from Luke. So let's get out our, get out our Bibles here. Uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Now just... Uh, not too many days, not too many days to the to the feast in the midst of the fast. Uh, St. Philip's fast is customarily called in preparation for the Feast of the Nativity. And we are given the story of a man who had a lot of food. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> take a look at this. In Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 16. Uh, verse 16 through 24. So chapter 14 in the Gospel of Luke, starting with verse 16. The Lord told this parable, a certain man gave a great supper and he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to tell those invited to come, for everything is now ready. And they all with one accord began to excuse themselves. The first said, I have bought a farm and I have, and I must go out and see it. I pray you hold me excused. Another said, I have, bought, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them. I pray you hold me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the servant returned and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind. The servant said, Sir, your order has been carried out, and there still is there's, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those who were invited shall taste of my supper. For many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, Father Daniel, it's a blessing to have you back with us again. First of all, thank you for joining us while you travel. And Phoenix, Arizona, and a little under the weather, but nevertheless, it's always the season to preach the Word of God, right? That's right, and it's always the season for greater penance, right? You know, and you've got the, the these penitential seasons. God sometimes gives you a little bit of an enhancer. That's right. So you got your you got your sufferings, but but here we this is a you know this is a classic parable of the Lord. We've been looking at a lot of parables in the lectionary cycle in the Gospel of Luke. And here we have another with the famous line, uh, many are called, but few are chosen, which is not a very popular idea in our society today. This is not, this is not really the permissive Jesus who just, you know, opens wide the door to the kingdom and everyone, no matter what they do or how they live or whatever, gets in at the end of the day. 
not something quite other. And this parable is given to us. We'll have a chance to get into it. But there's much here as, as, as there usually is with the parables, which uh, the church fathers kind of mine, if you will, to read into this or to, to take forth from this text lessons about our Lord and about our own life and our response to the Lord's invitation. So let's, let's jump right into this parable. But as usual, where does this parable fit in the gospel story? Yeah, no, and I think that's always a good practice. Uh, you know, want to read a couple of verses, maybe even a chapter or two beforehand, and then a couple of verses afterwards to get that, that context for the story. This, by uh, the way, this is why, guys, I, we don't want to just have you listening to what we're doing, but you got to get out your Bible and, you know, use the pause button. You should be using the pause button a lot during our studies because you can go back and say, okay, I'm going to read the chapter before at least I'm going to identify where this parable is in the thing and then to go in. So, but go ahead and help us, help us through that. Yeah. And, and for our purposes with this particular passage, all we need to do is just go to the first part of chapter 14. And this story, this uh, story that Jesus tells is in the context of a feast that's being given by a prominent Pharisee. So uh, the Pharisee has invited a bunch of friends, a bunch of prominent people to his house for a Sabbath day celebration, Sabbath day banquet. And it's in this context that Jesus gives this particular teaching. But there are a couple of things he does beforehand. Uh, the first thing he does is he heals a man with dropsy, which is a condition which causes great swelling due to the retention of fluid. It's a very painful condition. And he heals a man on the Sabbath. And of course, this was controversial on a, on a number of different occasions where Jesus would perform healing signs on the Sabbath. And the scruples of some of the scribes, the, 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 the lawyers and the Pharisees, you know, should you be doing even good works, works of mercy, right. sort of comes into play. And Jesus challenges them on this. And he's very clear that, yes, in fact, the Sabbath is the most appropriate day for mercy. In the Old Testament, the word for mercy was chesed, which is oftentimes translated God's loving kindness. And this is one of the characteristics that helped to define God's covenant relationship with his people and with the whole of creation. If you look at the Old Testament and the, and the story that unfolds, especially the story of the forefathers, you know, it is a story of mercy, of God's kindness, his sort of shepherding and fathering his people and humanity to a place where they could receive the great gift of his son, who was the image of the true face of the, of the father's mercy. And so God's loving kindness defines his relationship with them. And in the New Testament, we use, uh, we use the term uh, eleos, which is a, uh, a term for mercy. And, and it's really about compassion for the poor. It's about, it's about showing kindness to strangers, to those in need. Very much the call of Jesus for all of us as Christians. And it fits into stories that he's going to relate uh, in the context of this particular Sabbath feast at the, at, at the Pharisee's house. I'm glad you, you brought that back to our, that it is the Sunday of the forefathers. And the reason for this Sunday of the forefathers, we prepare for the nativity of Christ is really, as you said, it's to begin by knowing those that have come before us, we begin to recognize how God has acted in our life. And then we'll be able to recognize how he's going to act in our life, especially as we consider the feast of the incarnation, not as something which took place 2000 years ago, but a reality present in my life today, on a calling for a restoration of my own identity. This, this point about, um, I like the way you said that the Sabbath was, was this opportunity for God's mercy which is his loving kindness. And I, I think back to the book of Genesis and the, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the book of Genesis, in which God rested 
But it says something more. It says <clears throat> that on that day of rest, God blessed mm-hmm. seventh day. And he blessed in that, in that action. He called us also as his image and likeness to bless. To bless is to share his, his that's his, his loving kindness, right? To share his, his life with us. And he's calling us to do the same. Yeah, and that, in fact, the, the, the theology of the Sabbath, which could be its own episode unto itself, is, is so interesting because it really was the day of God's holy enthronement where his presence entered into the tabernacle of the cosmos. And uh, the whole of salvation history after our exile from paradise is how do we get back to being in the, loving, the presence of the loving kindness of the Lord in this world and in the next? Yeah. Uh, and so the meaning of the Sabbath really is to be in the presence of God, but not just to be in God's presence, but to be emissaries of that presence uh, to other people. And that's part of our vice regency as, as uh, kings, queens, prophets, priests, you know, in, in our natural calling, our baptismal calling, all of us are called to extend that grace uh, to others. And I think that's what Jesus is really trying to focus here in his, his conversations, his, uh, his talks here with his first century audiences. Look, the Sabbath is about God's mercy. The Sabbath is about God's loving kindness, not about necessarily all of your, your rules, which don't obligate you to, uh, to charity but rather obligate you to religious observance without charity, which is the devil's religion, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and now we, we can begin, as we're going to do now over our, our time together, yeah. we kind of almost reread this parable to realize Jesus is putting us in a big, a very large context, right? It's not, we're talking about, we're talking about, he's, he's making a comment about the Sabbath, but He's, 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 he's explaining what God has done for us, really, in, in laying out this, this banquet of creation. And we place ourselves in it, and now all of these factors, those who he sends out to get others, the people that do not respond, right. how much room there is in the Lord's house, there's, there's a lot to, to dive in. So let's go ahead and, and jump right into the text there, Father, and, and start yeah. to take this thing apart. Yeah, so, and, and immediately following, just, just to emphasize this point, immediately following this conversation about God's loving kindness through this sign, you know, he's, Jesus doesn't just teach through his words, he teaches through his deeds. Yeah. In the healing of this man with dropsy, he talks about humility. You know, in, the, in these banquets, he's noticing that people are clamoring for the, the first place, to be closest to the host. And, and it's in that context that Jesus uh, gives a teaching, actually, in, in verse 12, if I can read that just briefly here. Please. He also said to the man who had invited them, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and that you be repaid. Uh, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Of course, that phrase, the resurrection of the just, is a reference to the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of judgment, which is the eschatological Sabbath, you know, the one that is to come when we stand before the, the throne of God. <clears throat> and so this idea that Jesus is emphasizing, it's not just about those who have that, that, that need the blessings and the grace that extends from God's reigning presence, but it's for those who do not have, who need to be invited and so one of the, the men sitting at Jesus' table, because there are a number of different tables, and so he's sitting at the table with Jesus. He hears Jesus say this, and, he's, and he says something very interesting. He says, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Another translation is, uh, blessed is he who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And we've been talking a lot over the past couple of weeks about the Jewish conception of the kingdom of God. 
how oftentimes it was driven by more worldly concerns. You know, it was about, you know, wealth, pleasure, power, although governed by, you know, the righteous Old Testament law, but still with a this-worldly perspective. Uh, and that this is really what defined a lot of the, the Jewish anticipation of what the kingdom of God would mean. And Jesus, on his journey towards Jerusalem, about to accept the throne, which won't be a glorious throne, but rather the throne of the tree of the cross. You know, this is, this is something that he has in mind when it comes to defining what the kingdom of God actually means and what he's going to be facing ultimately in the challenge that's coming uh, in Jerusalem. Now, the Old Testament prophets, interestingly enough, had talked about this eschatological kingdom being like a feast. Uh, so they've already used the imagery of the feast, and so a lot of the, the Jewish hearers of Jesus would have recognized this connection between the feast and the kingdom of God as, as demonstrated by this man sitting at the table with Jesus. And if, if we could read a, a verse in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 25. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so if we go to the Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, mm -hmm. verse, uh, verses 6 through 9. Yeah, good. Go ahead. All right. So uh, the prophet says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the leaves, a feast or fat things full of marrow, of wine on the leaves well refined. And he will destroy on the mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and we have, that he might save us. That is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Beautiful passage. Yeah, it is beautiful. You know, I always, that whenever the prophets are on that day, they're looking forward to this restoration, right? After, after the Babylonian exile and so forth, looking for this day when the Messiah comes. And then this description they give is so, so beautiful what that day is going to look like. Right. And maybe we can get into that a little bit about, about this meal aspect. Why yeah. is, why is this feast? Why is it, it, it the Lord describes this day of the Lord, the, that this day that's coming in terms of a feast? Well, it's, it's a feast for a couple of reasons. Feasts were very common, uh, you know, these, these festal celebrations, often with uh, religious or covenantal overtones that, that represented the, the feast of union, the feast of, of covenant communion uh, with God and with neighbor. And, you know, we remember that, uh, you know, God uh, prepared a feast for the elders on uh, Mount Sinai, you know, that, that with Moses. This was actually one of the things that, was an aspect of, of their establishment of the covenant with the Mosaic covenant uh, on Sinai was that they came together to eat with God. That was, and from the ancient Near Eastern perspective, you know, all of the sacrifices and the feasts and things like that it was a sign of our, of our unity uh, because when we come together and eat together and feast together, it's a sign of celebration, but it's also a sign of, of unity. Uh, and in this particular feast that Isaiah mentions, which will occur after the return from exile, it involves not just the Israelites and even a remnant of the Israelites. It involves all people. God's going to remove this veil, and all of a sudden, the people are going to be able to come. All the people, all the nations of the earth are going to be able to come and worship the one true God and rejoice in the salvation that he has brought, that he has accomplished. And so, of course, uh, as Christians, we look at this prophecy, and we see very clearly a connection to Jesus and, uh, and the great feast that is to come that we anticipate in every celebration of the divine liturgy 
in the Holy Eucharist, the, the bread of the kingdom uh, that we receive. So, uh, you know, this prophecy of Isaiah especially speaks to us. But, uh, but even then, at the, in the first century, before Jesus had accomplished the Paschal mystery, uh, we have this anticipation on the part of the hearers of Jesus about the bread of the kingdom, the feast of the kingdom that is to come, that is this messianic kingdom. But he defines it very differently than what they expect. And this is where I think we get into the meat of the parable for today's reading. He, he talks about it in terms of a, a, a man. Uh, he just says a, a man, certain man, probably a great man who's going to offer this feast, because usually to host a feast was quite an accomplishment. I remember attending uh, your great uh, celebration of your priestly ordination. It was quite the celebration. It was quite the feast. I mean, there was singing, there was dancing, there was music, there was food. It was all, you know, a tremendous celebration to honor, you know, a, a, you know, a wonderful, great mystery of, of ordination. And so to accomplish that, you know, involved a lot of resources, a lot of planning, and, and you know, it was, it was something that uh, involved the whole community. And so uh, there's a certain man who wants to have one of these kinds of feasts. Now, I don't think there was an ordination involved, but he wants to have a, a certain feast. And so, so he sends his servant out and uh, sends out the invitations. And in, in, in Jewish practice, there were actually two invitations that went out. The first invitation was the invitation to uh, the invitees, asking them to RSVP, asking them to respond, can you come? Uh, and of course, he received the invitations, yes, we can come. And so... He plans, you know, the amount of food he's going to need, the entertainment, and, and these feasts would take days. You know, these, these were things that would extend over days. Just like with your ordination, I imagine it took a lot of planning. It took a lot of involvement, a lot of people. Uh, and, uh, and, and for him, it's the same thing, especially if it extended out over a week or so. Um, and so once the plans were set, he had all the invitations, the responses, the plans were set. He says, okay, now I'm going to send my servant out, and he's going to let them know the second invitation that everything's prepared. So come on, come on down. Let's 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 have our feast. We've we've uh, the table is set. Everything's ready. So he sends his servant out to uh, to notify those who had responded uh, that they would attend. Well, the responses he gets are very interesting, and we and we see this. Uh, it's really a, a whole host of excuses that's being offered to the servant of this of this great man. Uh, one says, "I have bought a field. I have to go see it." Okay. Well. You know, if anyone's ever bought a house or bought a field, did you buy it sight unseen? It doesn't happen. Nobody does that. Everybody go. Of course, you've already seen it. It's an excuse. It's a lie. I, I you know, he's he's already seen the field. He's just making up an excuse. Another says, "I have bought five oxen," uh, which means, you know, of course, at that point, he's a man of great means. He's got land. He needs five oxen. Uh, I have to go inspect them. Okay, again, nonsense. This is this is an excuse. He could have maybe sent a servant, if he was a great man, to inspect the oxen. He didn't need to go inspect them himself. He's just making an excuse not to attend this feast. And then the last one uh, is, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. You know, it's, it's almost a little bit humorous. You know, it's like, my, my wife won't let me go. You know, <laughs> she doesn't want me to go, go enjoy the feast. It could be that. It could also be the fact that, you know, and, and why this is such a uh, spurious uh, excuse is that you know weddings were, were events that were planned far in advance. So this man had more than enough notice that he was going to have a wedding, he was going to be married, he could not attend, but he responded sort of insincerely by saying, yes, I can come, knowing that I probably won't be able to come because you know, I'm getting married at that time. And, and uh, so he gave the appearance of, of a positive response in his initial response to the invitation, but he, it was not sincere. So, <clears throat> so these invited guests, they aren't coming. 
everyone has a flimsy excuse and they're rude and ungrateful to their host. You know, canceling after this great effort. I mean, you can imagine, you know, if you, at your ordination, you know, if, if all of a sudden half of the guests or maybe even all the guests said, no, I can't come, you know, and you've got, you've got, wait a second, we've got all the feasts, we've got everything ready to celebrate, you know, it would have been a terrible, terrible experience. And so this host in his righteous anger, I mean, he, he is truly angry and, and it even says uh, in, in the gospel passage that he's angry uh, against the rudeness of invited guests. He tells his servant to do something very interesting, which relates to what Jesus was talking about beforehand, about whom to invite to the feasts. And uh, beginning with verse 21, if we can read, yeah. it says, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my bank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Deacon, um, this whole story, uh, which we, uh, you know, oftentimes I'd say these parables, we become almost deaf to them because we've heard them so many times. Right. But the fathers of the church go deeper. So I'm going to, let's, let's get into this now and uh, kind of reread this story from, uh, as it's, as it's really is meant to be, to be read because we know the parables, the, there are a story which has this, this underlying communication of spiritual truths. Jesus is intending to, to, to so so let's get in this because we've got the we've got the the uh, the master of the house and we got the guys uh, that are being sent out right yeah. you the guy who goes out and tells people it's time for the feast then you got the different people that are saying I got other re- reasons I can't come and then you got the people that that uh, that are uh, that are you know the li- the lame and the blind and so forth like that. so the fathers church get into each one of these and draw out spiritual truths from them and help us see that help us understand it. Yeah, and Jesus isn't teaching a Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people, you know, right, right. How, to, how to exercise good social graces. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's teaching something very, very specific here in terms of, as you say, what, what the Father sort of unpacked for us. Uh, first of all, we need to ask, you know, we're, we're asking fundamental questions. You know, who is this great man who hosts the banquet? Well, the Fathers would say it actually is God the Father who is this great man who has uh, you know, wealth to share and wants people to come in and invites them into a relationship, a communion with him in this great banquet uh, that he's sponsoring. But then he sends out servants ahead of time to give the invitation. So invitations have been sent, RSVPs have been received. Well, who are those servants? Well, those servants uh, were uh, Moses and the prophets. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, They were the ones who went out to prepare Israel for the great banquet, the messianic banquet that is to come. We have an example that we just gave uh, with the uh, prophecy of Isaiah. It's also the forefathers uh, of Christ that we honor and celebrate uh, on, uh, on this Sunday of the forefathers. You know, these were the spiritual fathers and, and, and mothers and, and prophets of the Old Testament. You know, think about Adam and Eve, uh, Noah, Abraham, the righteous uh, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Rachel, fathers of the 12 tribes, prophets like Elijah, uh, Elias, Isaiah, and so forth. You know, all, all, I've, I've heard your course before on salvation history, and, and you lay out these names, and these names have great significance for us in our understanding of this, this preparation, this anticipation over time, gradually leading us to know, hey, the, the banquet's coming, the invitation has been sent, and God's people, at least some of them, said yes, some said no. Uh, but of those who said yes, even among those, there is this question of who, who will respond positively 
uh, when the second invitation comes. Mm -hmm. So these righteous men and women who, who respond positively to the invitation of the, uh, of the prophets, especially in the righteous ancestors, uh, their descendants now are sitting with Jesus at this table in this banquet hall. And, and it's the first century Jews, the Messiah has come. He is the second servant who has come to announce the banquet is ready. Uh, he is the one that the, the master sent uh, as that second servant to, to let them know everything is prepared. Come and receive, come and enter into uh, communion. But what Jesus is pointing out and what he's anticipating coming in Jerusalem very shortly when he uh, enters into his passion is that some of these descendants of those who said yes, of those who responded positively, uh, are going to say no. And they're going to have all sorts of flimsy excuses uh, for not responding positively to the invitation to enter into the kingdom of God and into this, this kingdom feast. And, the, and these excuses are based on worldly reason uh, because uh, they're, they're basically worldly in their mindset. Uh, and as a result, uh, they're going to lose this opportunity to enter into the great feast of, of the Father. You know, um, this, this you know, understanding it in, in terms that you're laying out according to uh, seeing it in the context of salvation history also allows us then to, uh, to draw some lessons from it in our own life and, uh, and place ourselves then even in, in this context of the story and ask kind of where we stand. And I'd like to just give you an opportunity to kind of share some, some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think this is really where, if, especially if you take it in the context of this Sabbath meal and uh, with, uh, with the Pharisee and the signs that Jesus is performing his teachings through his words and his deeds, the first thing he emphasizes is mercy and loving kindness. Uh, you know, so we need to strive after that virtue of mercy and loving kindness, which extends into the parable for this particular Sunday, where they're going out into the, the highways and the byways and they're, the alleyways, and they're grabbing those who are poor and lame and in need and filling up the banquet hall. Here it's an illustration of those who are sinners, those who are of the nations, who have not had the, the benefit, the blessing of God's covenant promises, uh, but now are receiving the great fruit of that blessing uh, of those promises in the coming of the Messiah. So, so mercy and loving kindness extends to all those, uh, those who have heard the gospel, those who haven't. And so we need to be uh, inviting those to our churches uh, we need to be uh, sharing the gospel with others and making sure that they know the good news, that we've announced you know, the advent of the king. The king is here. He's coming. Well, and, and we celebrate that in Nativity. So these are, these are really things to be thinking about, especially in St. Philip's Fast. So loving kindness is the first thing. Second thing is humility. You know, we have Jesus talking about the, uh, the need for humility. Don't seek after the higher place. Seek after the lower place. And then the host can then come up to you and say, hey, come up higher. Mm -hmm. All of that, of course, being a symbol of Jesus' own condescension, his own humility, uh, where he entered and, and took our flesh and entered into the mystery of our humanity uh, and uh, took, took a lowly place, was born in the poverty of, of a manger, of a cave with all the animals. And yet, you know, and even when he enters in Jerusalem, he enters on a donkey in humility. So he chooses the lower place in, and even dies on a cross, you know, as a, uh, as a common criminal with a crown of thorns on his head and, you know, the king of the Jews above him, uh, Jesus in his humility enters into the, the mystery of suffering, but he does so to redeem us and God highly exalts him. You know, those who are going to exalt themselves are going to be humbled, but those who humble themselves like Jesus are going to be exalted. So this is a season of humility, which means repentance, which means forgiveness, 
which means you know extending and rebuilding and repairing relationships. This is a season when we all get together with our family members. Sometimes we may have some rough relationships there. This is a season of humility uh, and to be like Christ uh, towards others. And then finally, we, we need to think about this season as the season of gratitude. All those who were invited, they had an invitation to a great feast. The Father was calling and saying, come, come to my feast. Uh, but one by one, they all had excuses because they lacked fundamentally the gift of gratitude and thanksgiving. And so we need to be grateful. And we express that gratitude, especially by attending the Feast of Gratitude, the Feast of the Eucharist, uh, this Feast of Thanksgiving for the gifts that God has given to us that we return in our worship. So I think this is a season of, of we think about it, of loving kindness and mercy, of humility and of gratitude. And if we put those virtues into practice, and I think we're really trying to live then uh, the teachings of Jesus uh, in this parable. You know, um, it's a challenging message as, as we consider the coming, the coming days, the coming uh, weeks, in which there's so many distractions oh, yeah. in our life, you know, and yet the Lord has sent the invitation to us. And he has. And that invitation is very, it's a very, um, so very kind of almost requires a practical response. And uh, so many of us, uh, as we've seen in the, in, the, in, the, in the parables, so many people walking around Jesus, waving the Jesus flag, but in their hearts are far away from the Lord. Um, and uh, you know, I would encourage our participants to lay out for yourselves how you're going, you know, when you're going to be going to church, when you're going to be praying as a family, how you're going to approach the coming weeks so that you are uh, ensuring that you are responding to the invitation. Lord. He, you mentioned obligation earlier. There's no obligation in, in our relationship with the Lord. He will, he'll never force us. Yeah. yeah. He invites us into a loving relationship and he only awaits our response. Um, and uh, let us open our hearts to that, uh, to that invitation and, and, and make that proper response to make sure that our relationship with God our relationship with the church, our relationship with the Feast of Feasts is, uh, is, is the highest priority in our life and that everything else is in relationship to that. Thank you so much, uh, Deacon Daniel, for your, uh, your words of wisdom, your insight in, in the Holy Scriptures, uh, being with us as we prepare during this time. And may God bless you all. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.